What's up, guys? We're back. Another week. We are at what three week three now of this podcast. Week three of fly coming, yeah. And uh yeah, great week for golf. Maybe not so much for NASCAR. I was gonna say but... our first hit, but like I think as a podcast, we're still we're still in the red for the week. But uh yeah, yeah, definitely uh kind of a low stress week for golf, or kind of a tough week for NASCAR for sure. Uh, a couple of bad breaks didn't didn't go our way, but uh, I guess you want to talk about what which which part do you want to talk about first, Chris? Do you want to go ahead and get your vent out, or do you want to you want to kind of revel in some glory a little bit? Um, I guess we'll start with the bad, right? Well, we got to, yeah. We yeah. got to just be transparent here, put it all out there. Go ahead, go ahead, Chris. The, the floor is yours. Um, so yeah, so um, for the close friends listening to this podcast, they know that there was some radio silence on Sunday night. Yeah. Um, despite some other good things happening in my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, now gambling just saps it all away. Yeah, the the NASCAR <laughs> gambling just absolutely just demolished my night. Um, but yeah, I guess um, I've taken a few days to kind of reflect on it, look back, and you know the I think the calls were there. Like I don't yeah. think at the end of the day anything I bet I would take back. Like if if I was to just scratch it all, look back and bet it all again, I think I'd still do the same thing. Yeah. Um, the reason I say that, I mean, firing was incredible. Like yeah. the best car the entire night, class of the field, like. Just he was just working his way up through the front. Like once he got to the front, it didn't look like he was gonna give it up. And then, you know, Chase was up there too. So just like it looks like everything was panning out like yeah. like it should. And then end of stage one, all the JGR guys come into pit. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there like in the back of my head, I'm like, why didn't Hendrick come in? I'm like, ah, oh, they're smarter than me. Like they got it figured out. And then what is it like 10, 20 miles later, they start talking about like, oh Hendrick, they're all gonna have to pit, they're all gonna be a lap down, and I'm like, they're not gonna make it. And I'm like, you're joking. <laughs> Um, just completely done by pit strategy that's yeah and then and then which we kind of touched on a little bit before the podcast but yeah. you know byron comes in he's the first hundred guy to come in mm-hmm. and the plan was to get four tires get him back out there and he could try to race his back way way back on the lap so he wouldn't have to get the wave around yeah his team completely screws up and on the right side putting two tires on that they literally wasted 10 seconds just on the right side of the car so like just go 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 so now, gonna he's gonna have, in. so now he's gonna have yeah. four fresh tires i mean just talk about just like an incredibly frustrating night yeah um, I mean, you 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 had the matchup with him and Logano too. It wasn't just the outright. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was like it was going to be a lot. The fact Logano that yeah, was nowhere to be found. Yeah, Logano was so irrelevant all race long. And yeah, man. I mean, um, yeah, I, I watched a lot of the race. Ellie, I mean, and not only that, but like you were. I mean, Ellie was catching him at the end too. If he has probably two or three more laps, oh, yeah. like he's right there, you know. So well, and I think probably taking two or three. More than two or three. I think Elliot really gave it his all in that, like second to last lap. Yeah. And Hamlin was really getting slowed up by the back markers. Yeah. Um, I think Cameron exactly. I'm honestly it might have been Cody Ware. It was definitely one of the Rick Ware cars. Mm-hmm. Um, was like side drafting the hell out of Hamlin when they were like three laps down. <laughs> so they've gotten a little. I actually listened to a podcast today where um, Hamlin's crew chief was on it talking about how like yeah that was completely unnecessary. Like Chase would have never gotten as close as he would if if Cody Ware didn't do that. So yeah. Yeah, it was just it was one of those one of those nights, man, where. Like, early on in the race, I was feeling good. I was like, man, there is absolutely no way. And then, you know, we didn't touch on this last week because we didn't actually kind of have a parlay to play. But, yeah. you know, we, we talked about it outside of the podcast where I actually ended up playing a parlay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the USA Ryder Cup, I had Lewis Hamilton. Both of those were, like, locks coming to Sunday morning. And I had Larson, the last leg of that parlay. So, you know, between Larson and then, you know, all my outrights of Blaney, Byron, Elliott. How could it go wrong? Yeah. There was, I was like, there's no, like, I'm going to, no matter what, I'm coming out green tonight. Right. And then, yeah, Hamlin had to just fuck it all up. The magic works. Oh, no. There goes the queen. Um, <laughs> why is it always me? Well, that was me that time. Oh, shoot. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it is. Yeah. Just subconsciously, I think I always cuss, like, in my head. But So, yeah, um, I think looking back, though, like I said, I mean, um, 
the race was what it was. I mean, if if we get a late race, if we get a caution at the end of stage one, if we get a caution at the end of that race, it could change the whole trajectory. And 100%. we just didn't get that caution. And I kind of touched on that last week where with it being a low air track, you don't have to come in and pit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not going to make a huge difference when you do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just thought that, um, like I said, we, we really needed one of those to happen in order to in order to hit. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it didn't. Um, That's the thing about rights, though. Like, I mean, the good news with betting 8 to 1, 10 to 1, 12 to 1 underdogs is the fact that you can afford some bad breaks yeah, because yeah. when things do fall your way, you can, again, free roll your way through another month of betting. So that, that's that's part of the reason I, I hate to like betting like favorites just because like, yeah. like you feel like you're sweating and then you're sweating for like, you know, less money than you're putting in. So I, I don't know. I feel like in the, in, the, in the long run, the bad beats feel worse for me like when I'm betting like money lines or juiced favorites because like it takes so much more work to, to get the money back that you that you might have lost in a, in a potential bad beat mm-hmm. um whereas you know i can afford like look uh, i've had i've had my fair share we both had our fair share everyone that's gambled has had those those events that like how the hell did i end up down um after this whole tournament or this whole race or whatever um but the good news is like yeah you can you can kind of pull yourself up by your, by your bootstraps and you have one good week and it can pay off, uh, you know, a lot of maybe either bad calls or bad beats. So, right. Right. Yeah. Was Hamlin a guy that you like, obviously like Hamlin's a top driver, so you probably considered him, but was he ever on your radar last week uh, at, I believe what, 10 to one, 11 to one. Um, cause I'm pretty sure that was his odds, right? Yeah. I'm trying to find what he was. I don't know if I have written down from last week. Yeah. Um, I don't really know that he really was. Like, to be honest, just kind of looking back through my stats here, what I had written down. Yeah. Um, he was seventh best at the last seven races at Vegas, seventh best average finish. Yeah. Um, and obviously his rating over the last six, six races is um, at all tracks is second just to Larson. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hamlin, I mean, now is probably looking like a clear threat to he's, unseat he's Larson be, for the championship. favorite right now, isn't he? Um, but yeah, I don't think that um, – yeah, I don't actually – I don't I have to look at that. Yeah. But um, – yeah, I, I, he wasn't really on my radar. None of the JGR guys really were. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I was, I was just kind of all over. All over Hendrick. Yeah. All over Hendrick. They all look um, good. I mean, Elliot looked great. I mean, Larson, Elliot, and, and um, Byron. Byron are probably the three of the fastest cars in the race. Oh yeah, I think well, night, so. well, Larson, Larson was kind of an interesting case. He was making me nervous too because you know we saw late in stage three when. Well, I can't remember stage two or stage three. I think it was stage three. Yeah. Where Larson and Byron got shuffled to the back. Elliot had made his way up to the back to the front, but. They were still sitting like 15, 14, something like that. Mm-hmm. And Byron just – he's making his way back up to the pack, and Larson yeah. was just staying put. And they I was like, man, what is going on? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't – that was weird for me. Um, it's almost like Larson's car is like dominant when he's up front, but it, when he's stuck in traffic, it it just seemed like that over the last few weeks. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to see how that kind of plays out. But, um, but, yeah. Do you believe in regression in NASCAR where like he had so many good breaks in the regular season, like everything went his way, he won five times, and now it's kind of – going the opposite way where Hamlin, who struggled in the regular season, is maybe starting to get the breaks in the playoffs. Not necessarily. I think it's more of a lot of these top teams, your Hendricks, your JGRs, your Penske's, they're going to be testing things out all year. Right. And once they know they're in the playoffs, they're not going to unload those secrets, so to speak, on their cars until it matters. So this is the point where everyone's really bringing their best stuff. They're bringing all that stuff that they tested out all throughout the year. Yeah. Um, So, you know, like, for instance, it was rumored earlier in the year that um, Hendrick was getting 10 RPM more than any other team. Yeah, it looked like it too. And yeah, it looked yeah. like it. And then there's something. Then they got penalized one week for having. Um, and there's even so I mentioned I was telling you before about the podcast. I listened to another podcast called Door Bumper Clearance. Three spotters who kind of t- give their takes on some things that happened during the week. And 
they were saying there's some, there was something going on with the um, the front of Hendrick's car. They had something going on where you could just tell that it looked different. And NASCAR actually penalized two of their cars early in the year. So Hendrick kind of scaled it back. Yeah. And there's rumors of that. All right, they're scaling it back now because they're going to bring it back when it matters. Right. Um, but it's all that's what NASCAR is all about. It's all about, hey, here's the little thing. Here's, what's, all, here's what's allowed. Yeah. Now you try to get around and make your car better and try to hide it. I mean, and there, there's all kinds of little things, little things like that. Like, um, you know, like I listen to um, Stacking Pennies, which is Cordell Joey's podcast. Yeah. And he has a um, tire changer on there for um, Brad Keselowski's team. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about this on today's podcast how tracks like this that we just came from in Vegas, a lot of times teams will only hit four of the five lug nuts in the middle of the race just to save those few seconds. And then the, that last bit at the end of the race, they'll actually hit all five. Because if you don't come in at the end of the race with all five, you're penalized too. Wow. Okay. So it's all about, I mean, there's all these little things that that's teams insane. do. Yeah, just that's to so save. next level. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's just all kinds. So I don't really know that I believe in the regression. I just believe in, like, I think momentum is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Hamlin, <laughs> he's looking like a force right now. Yeah, um, especially with the track we're going through this week. But I did, I do think at the end of the day I would still list Larson as my favorite, personally. Okay. Um, so if, I haven't looked, but if, for instance, if Larson was below Hamlin right now, I'd be all over it. Okay. Uh, Fair enough. So, and then I guess one other thing before we move on, yeah. um, you had mentioned um, how you like to stay away from the favorites. Yeah. Uh, I actually came across an article today, and this actually kind of helped me in what I was going to do later on for today. Yeah. Um, there's an article that was written on NASCAR.com. basically said, if you took the favorite every single race so far in NASCAR this year, where would you stand? Mm. Um, and basically, it was saying that you would have bet, if you did $100 on every race, you would have done, you'd have bet $3,700 by now. Mm-hmm. you'd have had, you've only have a $1,300 plus $1,300 at the end of this. And you actually wouldn't have even hit, you wouldn't even be positive. It wasn't for Larson's win at the spring Vegas race where he was 10 to one. That was kind of the beginning of his, when okay. he started hitting the strides. So it just kind of shows you that. So, so betting the favorites was actually a plus EV move in NASCAR this, this particular year. So far it is, but right. it took that Larson 10 to one to hit. Yeah. Um, and there was also, you also had, um, there's another one. No, he was a solo favorite in ten to one, or was he a co? Oh, sorry, I think sorry, I think this is a different. I think it's the same if you would have bet Larson every every race, oh, no matter okay. what. Sorry, gotcha. I think I had that off. Yeah, but yeah, I think it was something. It was something along the lines of like if you were betting. Sorry, I'm trying to. This is not great oh, podcasting. It's but, all good. It's all good. Oh yeah, so you only have if you bet a hundred dollars on every favorite in the Cup race so far, including the All Star event, you'd be up four hundred fifty-five dollars. Return on investment fourteen percent. Okay, I mean heck, that's um, that's still good. So yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, but same time, it's like. It, yeah. it just shows you, like, oh, here's the part I'm talking about. So if that, that's only because Larson hit, sorry, Larson was the favorite at the All-Star race at 4-1. to one. Okay. That's where the people made up a lot of their ground. Right. Um, after the first seven races, you would have actually been down $850. Right. Right. So, that's, that's a long way back. Yeah. It's a long way back. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because, I guess, as a book, you – as a book, like, if you're, if you're handicapping a NASCAR race – you would think that most of the casual money is going to come at, in at the top of the board because people like just to put their money on the favorite. Mm-hmm. So they're going to do those odds up maybe a little bit more just because just to prevent getting skint if the favorite comes home and all of like the casual betters that just bet the favorite. Right. Um, yeah, it makes sense. And for, for golf, it's different in NASCAR, I feel like, because in NASCAR, like generally speaking, most weeks you're looking at 15 drivers that have a genuine chance of winning. You know, it's a 43-car field, but it's really like a 25-car field. What it's you, not even 43 anymore. Oh, it's not even 43? No. Oh, shoot. I didn't. It's like 
37 to 40. Oh, okay. Got yeah. you. 43 is the old, that's the old, that was the old number. For yeah, a long yeah, time, yeah. that was always your cutoff. Yeah. But well, that, yeah, we're not, we're in those days. Not that ages days. me. Yeah, that ages me in my NASCAR <laughs> fandom. Um, but, but yeah, I, I would say, I, I would say, I don't know. I'm more. I'm definitely more prone to bet um, a favorite in NASCAR. I feel like than a favorite in golf, yeah. because in golf you're you're literally trying to beat like 150 plus people. Right. And yeah, you can you can argue that a lot of them don't have a shot, but I think the the win equity at the top um, is a little bit thinner than like in NASCAR, where I think people are more proven. There's more there's more constants we have to week in NASCAR. I feel like mm-hmm. uh, with equipment and with you know. Kind of just going back. I think it's more of a. I, I think it's more of a predictive. Like the metrics you guys have are actually more predictive. I think than golf. Golf's a bit more speculative, but that explains why. Um, you know, we bet guys at 40, 50 to one in golf, and sometimes they hit. So right. if you're betting, if you're betting exclusively forty to one long shots in NASCAR, you're probably gonna lose your money pretty quickly. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. All right. So yeah, good little NASCAR discussion there. We'll get back uh, to NASCAR for Talladega here at the end of the show, but we're gonna move on. Uh, to recap in the Ryder Cup, small little recap here. Uh, one of the biggest golf events of the year. We cashed uh, 15 units on a 25-unit bet. So back up in the green on the links, we're up 4.5 units on the year after losing 10.5 at the Fortinet. Uh, yeah, I, I was pretty much in front of my TV most of Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, no, sorry, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I got. I still have to get used to the fact that it started on Friday. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, just a comprehensive U.S. win. And really everything we talked about in the podcast last week, I think, uh, kind of came to fruition, man. Like this team is so so strong, top to bottom. The depth, I mean, there really wasn't a weak link on the team, and I think Europe really got exposed because after Rom, there really wasn't an answer they had. I mean, a consistent answer. Garcia played well, Hoblin played well, uh, Casey played well as well, but <laughs> he ran into the DJ buzzsaw for most of the week, and um, we saw one. Of, I mean, we saw what happens when one of the top guys for Europe, Rory. I mean, was basically no show for the first two days. I mean, he yeah. he got sat for the first time in his Ryder Cup career. He went zero and three in the first two days. Did win the singles match against Sander on the final day, but um, it just shows when one of those kind of like four pillars of of the European team isn't all the way there, like it could just end up being a boat race, and that's exactly what it was. So, did you do you have any takeaways from the Ryder Cup? I know you you did uh, mention to me you watched quite a bit of it. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about a little bit beforehand. Like, I don't think I've. I mean, like I've watched a lot of golf since we've been betting this, but like to be like, I was genuinely like, I was pumped for this event. I don't know. Like, I think just all like the, like the press leading up to, I think was fantastic for golf. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think you normally have that for an event. Like it just felt like it was, there's a lot more people behind it. And then, you know, like, I I don't know. I don't know know how to put it it in words. Like it was just like, it was like something that was genuinely like, you know, even when I was at work on Friday, like I was trying to like tune in to see like how the matchups were going. And it's a spectacle, man. Yeah. It really was like, it was just, it was exhilarating. It really it was really yeah. fun to just follow the entire time to watch. And just like, I, I think like, even though we talked about it in length last week, yeah. like just to think, I, as I was sitting there watching, I was like, man, these guys are like walking 18, gathering themselves for like an hour, then going back and going doing back it out. right yeah. over again. Like, it's just like, it's incredible what these guys had to do. <sighs> yeah. um, and then, you know, obviously, Everything leading up to like Saturday night, Sunday when the U.S. pretty much had it like oh, in the man. bag when the guys started chugging beers. With JT and, and burgers. <laughs> I mean, that that takes some fucking balls. Knowing there's 16 points left on the board, you're up. I mean, they're up nine to three, which is a big lead. But like, I mean, if Europe like sweeps us in that Saturday like afternoon, because you know, like Europe knew that they just did that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was like in the back of my mind, I was like, this would just be an all time <laughs> bad beat if I like put 25 units down at minus 165 for up nine three. Burger and JT shotguns two beers on the first, and then all of a sudden Europe comes and storms the event. Yeah, but uh, but man, this team was just too strong, and 
Um, it's, it's incredible too how just like fucking good Rom is a golf. I mean, like, it's amazing, man. And that's that's funny because that's actually one of my like if I had like a, t- a top five list of takeaways for the Ryder Cup, USA won nineteen to nine. My biggest takeaway is Rom's the best player in the world. He came and, away with what one and a half of the or two total points or something like that. Of, um, the... of the nine, he only lost. He got a half point against uh, Scheffler and Bryson on day one, I believe, and then he got he lost. He lost to Scheffler. So I think he got three and a half points of their nine. Yeah, which is and just... through through the um, I'm sorry, through the first two days, the only pairing to even get half a point that was not a part of Rom's team was Hatton and Lowry. They had to make like mm-hmm. an eight footer on eighteen to to get half a point. Hatton I mean, was sinking some long putts. Too. Hatton was sinking some long putts, and but Jesus, Rom. I mean, T to Green. He's a, we know him how good he is, but man, he's become such a good putter. We saw it at the U.S. Open when he sunk those two daggers on 17, and 18, left to right downhill breakers to beat Louis. Um, and man, every like you just never felt safe because I mean, he would just stand over a putt like a 20 foot putt, and he would make it, and he would you know he'd give the roar, and you'd hear mm-hmm. that little European like kind of. Moxie come around, and I'm sure the other guys, other heroes on the course, could hear that. It's like, oh god, if that like when you have an outright bet, like you just like, shit, that's the turnaround. Like that's that's it's gonna start sparking them. And then for Scotty, for Scotty to go out and, and beat him on Sunday, I think oh, that yeah. was that was when I was like, okay, there's nothing. We, we got this. Sit and back, let's crack. It, shit. Was, it was cool to see in the at the presser after the event. The guys were actually touched on that. There was a there was a question asked from one of the reporters, like, yeah, you know, what was one of the big moments or what was the moments that you guys realized you had this? And a lot of the guys are saying like even like guys like Dustin and DJ, Brooks and all them yeah. were saying they were like, Man, we were all watching that Scotty oh. versus Roy or yeah. Scotty versus Rum oh. leaderboard as we were playing, just yeah. knowing that if he can take down the top, then this is over. Like, yeah, yeah. Just, because that's, I mean, that yeah, he chopped the head of the dragon off. Because I mean, Roy comes out in the first match and gets on Xander early. Yeah. Cantley puts Skulls' uh, second shot on one over the green. And like you're not worried as US better, but you're like, okay, like yeah. <laughs> like this is not what we need because like we need to put them away early so that because as the day starts, the longer the day goes and they're still in it, the more tension builds for us, the more they believe they can come back and crazy mystery. More right. like Medina 2.0, but like times five. Right. Um but yeah, I mean Scotty showed a lot this weekend and we'll get into I can't wait until we see some of these guys um, kind of in some bigger tournaments down the line. I think we've got like the Zozo, the CJ Cup, the WGC in China. So not like marquee events uh, that you would t- typically think about in the calendar, but for the fall, I would expect to see at least a few of those guys with the purses that are being offered. So, yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot about Scotty. I mean, this U.S. team, the fact that like – I mean, and we all, we knew Cantley was good. Yeah. But the fact that Cantley was showing – like I heard it on First Cup Podcast, how yeah. Cantley was showing so much expression. That's not something he normally does. He's yeah. just normally like a very modest guy. Yeah. Like this this event is just – is it's amazing. And like this is probably my first time ever watching it all the way through, but like – even a lot of the Europeans were saying, like, we saw Rory break down. Yeah. Or Rom apparently made, I don't know if you heard this too, but apparently Rom made the comment on one of the tee boxes. He's three months off of winning the U.S. Open yeah. and said, this is the greatest event of my entire life. Mm-hmm. I mean, this that's just like, you're yeah. losing. You're getting literally obliterated. I mean, he wasn't. But right, right. <laughs> still, like, I mean, that's just, that's crazy. Yeah, it, you can tell it really means a lot to these guys to, to play for their countries and, and to have a team atmosphere because that's so rare in golf. You feel like you're kind of on a little island um, and, you know, We've seen guys struggle with like mental mental problems and, and kind of you know being un- unable to deal with you know some of the heckling that's been going on the PGA Tour, some just the pressures of being a golfer. But this event, you know, is the camaraderie that both teams had um, for each other and for the event was was really good to see. Um, I guess one last thing going forward is, um, man, the U.S. the U.S. team not only are they amazing, but their average age is twenty nine. I mean this. 
this could turn real ugly. And this is kind of what I touched on um, last week on the podcast was if these guys are, if the U S team is able to win and, you know, I never thought we would 19 to nine, but win in a, in a, you know, emphatic manner here in Whistling Straits, it puts a lot of pressure on the Euros because this was kind of like, like I said last week, this is kind of a lot of their final rides. You know, Sergio played well. I would expect to see Sergio maybe one or maybe two more times. He's not old enough, but guys like Westwood, guys like Poulter, um, Casey's up there. He's in his 40s already. So a lot of these kind of mainstay guys in Europe are, are on their way out. Mm-hmm. And the Americans are really ascending. And to win like this, like it sends a big message because now Europe's like, how – where are, where, where's our reinforcements? You know, what are right. we going to do to replace the guys that are on their way out? We already just got boat raced by that's with the same team that just beat the team, the uh, U.S. in Paris a couple years back, you know? So um, I think the fact that guys like Colin was, was a huge, um, huge contributor. He went, I think, 4-0-1. Four, um, four he, he tied to Hovland on the final day, but he was 4-0 outside of that, or 3-0 outside and of he that. he could have closed out Hovland 18, too. Yeah, yeah, he could have closed out. But, but at that point, he already... He actually yeah. secured the the Ryder Cup already, so yeah. no one really gave it gave a damn that uh, that Holland um, end up win the hole and, and square right. the match. Um, yeah, Colin was a big contributor. Bryson was phenomenal. Uh, JT had his ups and downs. Cantley, again, I mean, outside of DJ, he's probably our best player. Um, and man, that that guy's putter on bent grass, like uh, his putter in general, but like especially, I mean, we've seen it at the Ryder Cup now. And then we saw it obviously at the BMW uh, in Case Valley in Maryland. But get this guy on bent grass, and there's not a putt that I think he can't make. Like stand up like a 12 footer, it's just like it's just money. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's got that like languid step towards the hole, like it's got to be so like gut wrenching as a as a guy like taking him on a match play. Yeah, because like he just doesn't seem to miss. Um, but yeah, I mean Cantley. I mean all all the top performers outside of DJ are like young kids that six rookies. You know, we had six rookies, and most of them really really showed out. Um, I guess the only name that I didn't really hear a lot from was the, what did Harris English really do? Yeah, I guess it's only one. That... Well, English, yeah, English went one and two, so he won one of his. Sorry, I'm on a site that says one, two, and zero. Oh. I'm pretty sure that means he lost two matches. I'm trying to think, think of it, but I don't think he. I, I honestly don't know. I, like, yeah, like you said, the English. The only time I really remember watching English was when he played with Fina on the first day, mm-hmm. and they boat raced. Uh, I think it was Rory and Poulter, right. or Rory and Lowry, I think. Um, and, and Fina made like six birdies that day, but yeah, I, I, this, this U S team, if you count through like the, the world golf rankings, I mean, they have legitimately nine of the top 10 of the world on, or the eight of the top 10 of the world, nine of the top 11 of the world. And with an average of 29, like Europe, they've got to find some magic in Italy because they can, I think they can damn near do the same thing again. The, despite the fact that we've had the, the mm-hmm. big document, the well-documented drought. I mean, who are those guys that Europe could bring in? Because, I mean, I guess you're saying, like, guys like Westwood and Poulter are on their out, right? Right, right. So, yeah, I guess I guess Europe, for, for me, Guido comes to mind. For me, uh, a really, really nice ball strike out of Italy. Uh, showed out at the um, US Open this past year. Has had a lot of success on the European tour. Um, a guy like maybe a Robert McIntyre, the, the Scottish lefty. Yeah, I heard his um, name, yeah. Big bomber. Um, he could definitely come into the in the fold. Um, Rasmus, uh, the two Hoygaard brothers out of Denmark, Rasmus and Nikolai, not really all that proven in America yet, but they've had uh, they both won on the European Tour at really really young ages. So they've got guys, but I mean, are they guys in the next two years that are really going to shift like the balance of world golf? Like I don't really think so. Like they're they're nice prospects, but heck, I mean, you could argue. I mean, I don't think you can even argue. It's it's pretty clear. Like the guys that were just left off the American team, like guys like. Burns, Zalatoris, Patrick mm-hmm. Reed, Webb Simpson, um, you know, even a guy like a well, I said I think I said Will Zalatoris already. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like there's so much 
they're, they're only just the U.S. team not only so good, but they're so deep. And I don't know, man. I, like if you if you give me a U.S. future at the same price uh, for Italy, like I, I might just have to bite the bullet and take it because I don't know how much how much uh, how worse the price can get, how much worse the price can get compared to like minus two hundred. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't see myself <clears throat> against this team anytime soon. So yeah, I guess that wraps up the Ryder Cup. That's enough. Uh, you know, sucking the American team off for, for a couple minutes there, but uh, yeah, awesome event. Uh, I I so many good memories. You know, Bryson making eagle in the first hole, carrying the ball on that green, and then sinking the twenty foot putt on on Sergio's face, and um, the four hundred seventeen yard drive he hit on the par five. I mean, like we yeah. we, we play golf very casually, Chris. Um, like that's just superhuman. Like four seventeen, the wind was at his back, but like. To go driver like gap wedge into like a 590 yard <laughs> par five is so oh no not even driver gap wedge driver lob wedge uh, into a 500 like 90 yard par five is for me one of the I mean that one was like obviously the most impressive another hole that was really impressive to me was is it the 12th par three mm. I think it's the 12th okay um, but it was when it was Bryson and Scotty versus um, Rom and Sergio Sergio yeah. Um, I think all four of them were within like two feet of the cup. Yeah. It was incredible. It was like back to back to back. I was like, oh my God, this is, and you've got like the, I mean, it's not, you got the coast, which was the lake, I guess, well, right yeah. there on the, on the right side. But like, yeah, it's a small touch green. Like if you miss that left, you're in like, you're on a downslope yeah. on a hill. So yeah. bushes up there. Like you're basically in jail. Anything right, like you said, is going down the hill into the water. Yeah. That's a really tough hole. And then heck, Brooks and Colin had almost back to back hole in once to close the rider yeah, cup, yeah. you know, cause Collins was, was inching towards the hole. And I, he had like probably a one and a half footer for a birdie. And we thought that was gonna be like one of the fighting moments of the Ryder Cup, which it was. And, and then he speeds shot from oh, the banking straight and then in the J- air. JT missed the putt. <laughs> yeah, JT missed the putt. Yeah. It's like I was actually following the Reddit, the Reddit uh, discussion yeah. thread at that point, and it was like, oh, we're about, this this could be one of the most uh, greatest moments ever, just ruined by JT. And then sure enough, <laughs> yeah. Anyone that's watched JT like play golf for the last um, like year or so at least, I mean, you you knew that was always a possibility, but um, but yeah, I just. A great event! I can't wait for the next one, man. I, I was I was jazzed up for most of the weekend, uh, watching watching the fist pumps, and it'll be it'll be cool to see how how Europe defends their home turf because you know like you know that they know that if they if another round goes goes on and they have a similar performance in, in in Italy, like the like there could be there could be some momentum on the American side that's just too hard to stop, and we can you see a run similar to the run the Europeans just got off of. So yeah, that that about wraps up uh, everything we had to say on the Ryder Cup. I'm sure you guys are. Uh, yeah, what are we in? Yeah, we're about half an hour in, and we haven't even got to the uh, current events. So let's go. Uh, we're gonna start with golf. We're gonna start with golf uh, this week. We are at the Sanderson Farms Championship uh, at the Country Club of Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, looking at a 7,461 yard par 72. Champion, champion Bermuda Grass Greens. Um, as far as this place, I mean, it's not the most like visually striking or like unique course in the PGA Tour. It's kind of just like uh, ABC, like tree-line golf course, very similar to the Fortinet I would compare it to, actually. Um, so, like, Silverado Club, tight, uh, hard to hit, tree-line fairways, but not really all that penal rough, uh, despite the fact that they're kind of in opposite sides of the country. Um, we do have to deal with kind of the Bermuda grass rough, which tends to be a little bit thicker, but uh, they don't really cut it um, in a way that would really hinder these guys too much. The, uh, the fairway percentage here is uh, – like I said, let's see. The fairway percentage here is going to be about eight points less than the tour average event, but the GR, GIR percentage here is going to be uh, 69 versus 65% for tour average. So, like I said, even if you hit the rough here, you're not going to really really be in too big of a danger of missing the green and, and having a birdie putt still. So, with that being said, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to target 
uh, bombers here over uh, over actually guys, just because the Ferris is hard, hard to eat anyway. So uh, we've seen guys in the past have really no fear of just pulling driver and swinging freely. So past champions, uh, the past four champions here have been Sergio Garcia last year. Um, in the, yep, Sergio Garcia last year uh, in 2021. Um, Sebastian Munoz in 2022, winning a playoff over Son J.M., Cameron Champ in 2019, and then Ryan Armour uh, the year after that. So kind of three bombers slash ball strikers would be Garcia, Munoz, and Champ. Armour more of like, uh, you know, kind of a dinker and dunker sort of guy. I guess I would, I would categorize him as, you know, hits a lot of fairways, hits his irons. I think there's um, there's a lot of methods to success here, but um, just the, the particular things I'm waiting are going to be driving distance, good drives gains, um, which is the famous national stat that basically is just any drive that leads to a G, uh, green regulation. So basically just putting yourself in position to attack greens. So those are my two kind of key driving stats. Stroke change approach is going to be really key here. I think this is going to be a uh, really, much, really pretty much a second shot golf course. You know, you're going to, you're going to hit, as long as you don't like aren't a disaster off the tee, you're going to get looks at these greens, try to hit a close, try to make some putts. Uh, par four scoring 400 to 450 yards. Uh, there are six of those uh, holes here by composition. Par five scoring, there are four, five, four, four par fives here being a par 72. So you got to take advantage of those. All those uh, holes have over 25% birdie slash eagle rate. Uh, and three of them have over 30% uh, birdie slash eagle rate. So, yeah, if you're not if you're not making birdies in the par fives, you're going to be losing, um, you know, a quarter or even a third of a stroke uh, per hole on that. And then um, lastly, we have, uh, like, putting. So I typically don't weight putting that much just because it's the most variant stat in golf. Um, obviously, there are guys that routinely putt pretty well, but for, I would say, 70% of golfers, it's a, you know, everyone's kind of capable of like putting on their best on their best day, especially here where um, a larger percentage of putts are made here from five feet to 25 feet than almost anywhere on tour. So to put that in other words, it's easier to make putts here, like long range putts than it is like at almost any other tour stop. And they're, they're bigger greens, but they're pretty. Yeah. So they're, they're bigger greens, but they're, they're pretty flat. They're pretty simple. So I think that's why we've seen a lot of kind of poor putters historically Guys like Sergio and Munoz and Champ, uh, Connors do really well here. So even though I am waiting stroke uh, putting upside, like I'm not like it's not going to be a. Even though putting is probably the most important stat this week, um, in terms of like if you're going to win the tournament, you've got to gain strokes putting. It's not going to be like my uh, my most heavily weighted stat just because it is so variant. And we have seen poor putters in the in the past uh, do well here. So yeah, that, that kind of wraps up my key stats. Uh, like I said, stroke chain approach, particularly from wedge distances and short iron distances, a hundred. 100 yards to uh, 150 yards, uh, driving distance and good drives gained to kind of an all-around strokes gained uh, off the tee measure there. Uh, par 4 scoring from 400 to 450, par 5 scoring, and um, kind of just a little little sprinkle on putting upside. Are they going to be able to make enough putts to get to 18, 19, 20 under? Uh, so, yeah, now that wraps up kind of the course wrap-up and the course summary, uh, what I'm looking for as far as stat models go. Let's kind of move on into, uh, you know, the actual betting board. You know, the, the guys who came here to see, the guys we'll be watching hopefully on the weekend. Um, and, yeah, unlike the Fortinet, which is our first episode and kind of the first episode where um, – or the only episode where we had outright tickets. You know, last week we kind of were dealing with a two-sided money line. This week we've got the full field of 156. And, um, yeah, as I look at it now, there's three kind of heavy favorites. It's Sam Burns – or not really heavy favorites. Sam Burns, Wills Outdoors, and Corey Connors all at 18-1. to 1. Um, I actually like all their games for this place. Sam Burns is a guy that had a big breakout year in 2021, uh, had a win at the Ballads Bar, um, really was there at the Genesis, was there at the ATT Barry Nelson, um, popped in Phoenix as well. Like he, he was 
really one of the few guys I think that if there was a most improved player in golf, like he was probably um, a, a, one of the top contenders for that award. Um, but yeah, Sam Burns has kind of really established himself as a top player. He's the favorite right now at 16 to one. And yeah, I think he, he suits the scores really well. I won't be betting him just because I, you can't bet everybody and he's going to be off my card. Uh, he isn't maybe as prolific or as I would say prolific, but as consistent with ball strikers I'd like to see here. Um, you know, he, he does hit along with the tee, but the irons are kind of hit and miss last start. Uh, his eyes were atrocious at the tour championship. And so that kind of, um, kind of gets me off of him, but I, I will say that Burns, as far as like as a putter, you know, we were talking about Bermuda grass putting, uh, Bermuda greens that we have here in the Southeast. He is uh, one of the best putters in the PJ Tour, especially on these kind of Southeastern courses. SEC country, Sam Burns gets it done. He went to LSU, Louisiana kid. Um, so I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him contend um, down the stretch here. He just won't be on my card in particular uh, with kind of the unit allocation I'm going for here. So, uh, yeah, Sam Burns, 16-1, not a bad bet, but uh, I won't be on him. Will Zalatoris, 18 to one. Um, yeah, Willie Z is, you know, PJ Tour Rookie of the Year, blue chip prospect, great ball striker. Um, I just don't, of, of all the guys, I don't like the fit for the course as much. It being a putting contest, Will's, you know, putter is, you know, pretty bulky. Um, I, I would expect Will, you know, to get his breakout wins sometime soon, but I don't think it's in the place where he's going to have to make the sheer amount of birdies he, he makes, he's going to have to make this week and, and get to 19, 20 under. Um, I, I particular I like him maybe a little bit better, like a harder course where he can utilize his distance, utilize his long iron play. Um, because as I, it's funny as you get closer uh, to proximity, like as he gets closer to the hole, he gets actually worse compared to the field um, with his wedge ranges um, compared to like his long iron ranges. So he's even though the strokes game putting analytics show that Zaltoris is an elite iron player, and he absolutely is, it's more weighted in his case towards his long iron play, which helps him in the par fives here. But as you get to the shorter par fours, 450 yards. Uh, he's going to struggle the wedge ranges there. He's bottom half of the field in both the key uh, proximity ranges I was talking about. So uh, I, I like Will Zaltoris. I'm bullish on him. I mean, it, it, you're going to be hard-pressed to find anyone in golf that doesn't um, isn't really, really excited for what he has to offer in the future. But here at 18-1, to I'm going to be passing. And then the, the final co-favorite at 18-1 to is Corey Connors, um, who finished second here. Uh, Sam Burns also, he finished, uh, he finished if, if I want to backtrack a little bit, Sam Burns finished third. Uh, the year Cambridge champ won in 2019. I believe, or 2018. Uh, so, yeah, Sam Burns was the third-place finisher in that event. Corey Connors was the second-place finisher in the same tournament. Um, and, yeah, Connors, I mean, you, you won't find many events that Connors doesn't suit. Like, he's – I've always compared him to, like, a triple-A Colin Morikawa. Like, the skill sets are very, very similar. They hit a lot of fairways. They're phenomenal iron players. And um, if they can roll some putts in, which is rare for Connor, Connors than it is for Colin, um, given the fact that Collins, you know, that's the reason Collins won four times and, and – um, and Connors hasn't won since the Valera, I believe, in like 2018 or 2017. It's been a little while. Um, but, yeah, Corey Connors, phenomenal player. I'm typically bullish. Like, it, Chris knows I bet Corey Connors quite a bit. Yeah, we was, we have bet him a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we bet him a lot. I had him at the API uh, last year when he finished third at 110 to 1. But he's just not – when I look at, like, the landscape of golf, I'm just not comfortable laying 20 to 1 odds on Corey Connors or 18 to 1 odds on Corey Connors. So, again – Burns out towards Connors, like they are good bets. Honestly, I wouldn't blame you at all to bet all three of them. Um, and even a guy like Sung J M at 20 to 1, another guy that loves Bernie Grass Greens. Um, he's played really well in the Southeast throughout his career, has his only win in Florida uh, at the Honda Classic. But uh, yeah, Sung J M, great bet. I, I'm I'm struggling to really find too much like to say bad about these guys. I'm just at the Sanderson Farms, I'm just not gonna be there. Um, and given we'll get to my final card later on, but I do have some units to play with. Um, in terms of 
like my outright ticket. I'm only about, you know, seven and a quarter units in right now. So I do have room. If I want to add one of these guys, I'm more prone just to wait and see a little more. I'm just not uh, completely 100% in on um, kind of the numbers that these guys are at right now. So even though I like them. But we, we, move, we will move on to a guy that I'm very bullish on, and that is Mita Pereira at 33 to 1. Um, I'm currently coming at 25. You can still find 33s, maybe even a 35 out there somewhere. Um, but he is probably, Chris can attest to this, probably one of the most uh, touted guys on golf Twitter. You know, all of our, all the spreadsheet nerds out here, we love him. Um, he is, uh, in my model, the last three months, he is number one in strokes on the tee, number one in total ball striking as well. He just got off leading the field at the Fort Ned and tee to green play had a real chance there i think to, to take a to take a victory there um in napa just couldn't make enough putts on the weekend and losing by three to homa and uh, by two to mcneely um but yeah he's right there in the mix on the weekend i'm riding that form when you when, when we get into these kind of short field of or not short field events but we have this weaker field events in the swing season like when you get a guy that's playing this well you just have to ride him and the fact despite the fact that his numbers you know halved from the last time we saw him I think Mito just does everything well that you want out of out of a kid that, um, you know, albeit in a small sample, but has looked like an elite elite player in the world and, and one of the top prospects coming up in golf. Um, so yeah, like I said, he's number one on my model in strokes out the tee, strokes gained ball striking. He's top thirty in both of my key proximities from one hundred uh, to one hundred twenty-five and one hundred twenty-five to one hundred fifty. And yeah, he's done everything since winning that battle for promotion on the Corn Ferry Tour. He has four top six finishes in the last seven worldwide starts. Um, a third at the Fortinet, T4 at the Olympics, a fifth at the 3M, or no, sixth at the 3M, and a fifth at the Barbersall. So, I mean, he has been at the top of the leaderboard early and often in his PGA Tour career. So, I, there's no reason to think I don't think he can do it again. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Mito, I'm just super high on him. I just think, you know, with his ball striking statistics, again, it's a small sample. I think that's the only reason we're kind of getting a depressed number on him. Um, so, Hey, maybe I'm maybe I'm proven wrong. We're all proven wrong, and he's ends up just being an average door player, uh, which is by no means a slight. Like they're still incredible at golf, but um, maybe we look back and we could look back in like six months and, and laugh about this bet. We let, we bet me to prayer at thirty three to one, or we could be like, man, we really got me to prayer at thirty three to one at the Sanderson Farms, like uh, because he could he could very easily take that Zalatoris type of path to be in one of the young phenoms. And that kind of thing to be the contents of what everyone's saying is like, yeah, kind of what you just touched on. It's, it's a small sample, but all the metrics are jaw dropping. Like they're yeah. popping and you, like, you have to write it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to write it. Like, like I said, um, yeah, you, you, I, I wouldn't be able to live myself if I, if I jump off this week and he wins, you know, so he's gonna have to prove to me, like in my opinion, what I've seen of Mino so far in the last three months, and even going back to his corn fairy, uh, three wins, he won three times in the corn fairy tour in six months. Uh, and two of those actually came in the Southeast. He won one in North Carolina, up in Raleigh, um, and he, at the Rex Hospital, and he won um, in, uh, I believe, Spartanburg, South Carolina, down the BMW. Uh, so kind of, he's kind of got the, maybe a little good, Carolina some good vibes. Yeah, some good vibes in, in the Southeast. So maybe coming back on some Bermuda grass courses uh, can do him good. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in as of right now on Mito Pereira, and we're, we're riding him as, as our lead horse as of right now on the top of the card. Uh, we'll move on a little bit kind of to uh, the middle of the board into the kind of the 30, 40, 50 range. I've got Keegan Bradley here at 45 to one. Uh, yeah, Keegan, he, he's, he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a notorious um, player as far as the golf betting community goes. Um, you know, very notorious for, you know, Sparna opening round 64 and then following up with uh, a miscut as he, I think he's one of the only guys that I can ever remember that, like in the last five, 10 years, that was literally first round leader to miss cut in the same tournament. So yeah, I mean the the swings with Keegan can go can go wild, but 
when you look at his you know stats on paper, it's it, they're phenomenal. He leaves the field on approach here in the last 24 rounds. He's seventh in good drives gained, um, and his only career start here was last year. He uh, he did gain three strokes putting on route to a fourth place finish. He gained in every metric, so he's got the good course history. Um, he's one of the best ball strikers in the field. It's really just the putter. I mentioned earlier how this place has propped up bad putters in the past. He gained three strokes putting last last year. That's good enough for me. Keaton Bradley, if he gains strokes putting again, he will be at the top of the leaderboard uh, with his ball striking bar none. So not really much to say about him. Um, yeah, I, I guess I will say Corey Connor, like Corey Connors at 20 at 18, 20 to one versus Keegan at like 40 to 45 to one. Like that's just too big. That's another reason why I kind of was off of Corey because I can get Keegan for 20 points cheaper and they do very much the same thing as well. Like they hit fairways, great iron players. And then the short game is, is what it is. Right. So you're, you're going to get flaws um, kind of down here uh, in the kind of the 40 50 range. Like you're not going to find any perfect players, but I think Keegan has the skill set required uh, to really have success here. Uh, so yeah, now that I'm done, you know, analyzing spreadsheets, I'm going to go into more of a narrative based uh, pick. I've got Matthew Wolf here at 65 to one. Uh, I'm just, a, I'm a fan of Matthew Wolf, man. This is not, this is not me like saying everything's okay. It's, it's been great. Like he, he's been better than he, he's been better than his results look like this. <laughs> Yeah, so this is not a recent form pick for Matthew Wolf. Like, truth be told, he's been absolutely god awful. I mean, one of the, probably the biggest points in twenty twenty one as far as the PGA Tour. Um, yeah, he's really only had like he's he's been very well documented the, the problems he had with the swing and with his mental health. Um, came back for the US Open, spiked a little bit, and then went kind of right back to where he started. Um, but as far as upside goes, if we're if we're betting outright, we're betting upside. Can this guy win the golf tournament? Matthew Wolf, when he's on, he's he can he has a case as the best golfer in this entire field. Um, with his ball striking ability, with his ability to get hot with a putter, driving distance. I mean, he's he fits a lot, right alongside the, the wall of champions here with Sergio and Champ and Munoz. Um, I like Wolf a lot, and at sixty-five to one, like why not take a punt? I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're looking at like names around him being, you know, KH Lee, who I love personally, but yeah, and Chris loves personally from the Byron Nelson last year. But yeah, sixty to one, like uh, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be on that. You know, guys like Pat Kazire, you know, Scott Stallings, Taylor Pendrith. Like, I mean, give me Matthew Wolf uh, when it comes to being around those guys. So, again, the, the metrics look bad, but he's had a month off to kind of to kind of workshop everything, workshop the swing, and I'm just going to the fact that he wouldn't really be here if if he knew he was off. You know, I, I think if he's coming here to the Sandstone Farms, he doesn't he doesn't really need to, but he knows it's a big a big year for him as a, as a professional, and um, I, I'm confident he's put the work in in the off season and come out you know strong. Uh, so yeah, I've got those are my kind of three main bets for now: Mito. Keegan and Matthew Wolf. Um, I keep I keep forgetting this uh, little correlation, back, but he has he does also have he hasn't played the Sanders Falls, but he does have a correlation, uh, positive correlation with his with kind of other comparable courses. So three of open in uh, in Minnesota where he won, he has only PGA Tour win, and the Rocket Mortgage uh, in Detroit where he finished second to Bryson in 2020. Uh, both of those courses have actually um, have actually you know shown kind of have been top courses. You know we've seen success from guys like Cameron Champ. We've seen get, uh, success from guys like Sebastian Munoz in both those places. So uh, another kind of, you know, if I'm grasping those straws, you know, that, that's kind of what I'm hanging my hat on. But the course history, a bit of upside, and a 65 to 1, I'm willing to make a point. So, again, those are my three guys. Uh, further down the board, I've got two more like kind of long shots. Very similar players. Matias Schwab, I got a 90 to 1. Um, again, if we're talking about guys that hit a lot of fairways, guys that hit really, really good irons and have questionable short games, like he's the Europe, European tour version of like Emilio Negrillo or Corey Connors or Keegan Bradley, 
You know, he's going to hit it to eight feet and miss most of the birdie putts. But the ball strike is good enough. The metric is good enough where I think um, we're getting a little discount because he doesn't have the PJ Tour starts. This is the first year being a fully sanctioned member of the PJ Tour. But he's had some success in Europe. He's won a European Tour event. And, um, you know, he has – when he has been on the PJ Tour and, like, sponsors exemptions and, and other starts, he has, um, you know, a T2, I believe, with the Barracuda. Uh, so he, he has popped, and he's a, he's a really good player when his ball strike is there. Um, so yeah, nine to one. I think we're getting a little discount on a, on a guy of his caliber, and then Chez Revi at one hundred twenty to one, um, was just a little ridiculous for me. A guy that was the first round leader at Fortinet, um, we had him on the card. He proceeded to shoot a uh, three over seventy five, following his first round leader um, mark of sixty five, and uh, you know went from the tournament favorite after one day to out of contention. But um, yeah, one twenty to one. A guy again that hits fairways. That his irons have been phenomenal. He's um, he was fifth in the field at the Fortinet on approach, and yeah, any guy that can get hot with his irons and hit fairways, I'm I'm going to be in on, especially at 120 to one. Um, and the guy that plays pretty well um, in these type of events, I always kind of look for Shez in these kind of short field events where he doesn't have to doesn't have to carry the ball too far. He doesn't he's not t- facing the titans of the game, but he does have a skill set and he does um, you know he can pop when uh when the course suits him so. Yeah, those are kind of my my five outrights. Mita Pereira, 33 to 1, Keegan Bradley, 45 to 1, Matthew Wolf, 65 to 1, Matias Schwab, 90, and Chez Revier, 120. I'm currently in for a total of seven and one quarter units to win about 80. Um, and yeah, so I've got a little bit of room. I've got about probably four or five units I'd be comfortable playing around, splash around uh, on the week. I don't think I'm going to be. I really did consider Song Jay. I did consider Burns at some point in the week, but I think I'm going to hold off for now kind of see how the tournament shapes out, see if we can get some values kind of on Friday, Saturday. And uh, the live ads will definitely be posted as the tournament goes on. So, yeah, that's that's about it for the golf, man. I wish you all the best uh, here at the Sanderson Farms. Again, not the most glamorous tournament, but, um, you know, the money's still the same color. So, um, yeah, I guess with that, we'll go and move on to NASCAR. All right, so that pretty much wraps up uh, my preview and bets for the Sanderson Farms. I guess if we're ready to move on to Dega. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's do Dega, yeah. So, yeah, off from, from Vegas to Bama. We're going to Dega, baby. <laughs> let's go. Um, so, yeah, we are off to the Yellowwood 500, which the sponsor I never had heard of. I actually had to look that up before. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I first saw it on the gambling side, I was like, wait, the Yellowwood 500? That can't be right. Like, <laughs> I was like, that must be like an Xfinity race or something. It almost like sounds that. like the perfect name then, like the Yellowwood, not not Yellow. 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 Oh, yeah. No, yellow. They, they know the different graphic for sure. <laughs> that company was not founded in Boston, I can tell you that much. So yeah, for um, yeah, for those who maybe aren't uh, familiar with with tracks, I'll give you a little brief. So Talladega is a super speedway. Obviously, it's one of two in the circuit, um, with Daytona being the other one. However, these are very um, even though they're both speedways, they are different. They're not um, a lot of some of the guys that have success at Daytona don't have success at Daytona, or likewise, you know, flip the other way around. But at the same time, they are super speedways, so you do see a lot of the same guys. Your elite drafters um, are going to be kind of there in the data no matter what. Yeah. Um, for those who have never really watched Super Speedway before, um, I think Ian can attest to this. Yeah. It is exhilarating from a betting perspective. Yeah, I'll be tuning um, in for sure. You never know uh, what's going to happen. You always prepare for the big one, which knocks out normally half the field. Um, I think um, – I can't remember if it was Daytona or Talladega. I want to say it was Daytona, though, in the spring. Uh-huh. I think we finished with, like, 17 cars. Like, yeah. it wasn't many. Like, it was just the whole field was demolished. That was when um, Matty Neal was one that week, right? Yeah. Yeah, story of his life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, this is, this is a, a race, um, more like any other, where you're going to see a lot of teamwork, um, teams will pit together, uh, that way they can stay in line and keep that, um, aerodynamic going, keep right. the, keep the draft. Um, 
with um, Chevy and Ford having more cars than Toyota, you'll see Toyota team up with one of the other. Um, the last time this happened, we saw Toyota team up with Chevy. Um, okay. Probably smart. But um, however, I say that, but Penske actually um, has been really, really good at Super Speedways over the past year. They've won two of the last three Super Speedway races. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so then looking back at our previous winners at Dega, um, this will kind of give you a little foreshadowing to where I'm going to go with my bets. But if you just kind of listen here, so 2021 spring, Keselowski. 2020 fall, Hamlin. 2020 spring, Blaney. 2019 fall, Blaney. 2019 spring, Chase Elliott. 2018 fall, Almarola. 2018 spring, Logano. Kez, Stenhouse, Logano, Kez. Penske is, Penske is yeah. there. And, and, <laughs> and just as kind of as a whole, Ford. Ford is kind of who you're looking at here. Okay, yeah. Um, so... So yeah, that's, where I'm, that's basically where I'm going with my bets. To be honest, completely honest um, with you, um, and Ford, got, Ford is Roush and Penske. That's all I know, right? Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Okay, that's pretty much it. Gotcha. Um, oh, sorry. And you got um, Stuart Haas. Oh, Stuart Haas. Third uh, Ford too. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll be leading off here. So I guess the favorite on the top of the board is not who I'm betting, but Denny Hamlin is the favorite at plus seven hundred. Yeah. He is an elite speedway racer. He is hitting all strides right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus seven hundred is actually not a bad number. You're going to see really good numbers. I got super- plus eight actually. Oh really? Yeah. So super speedways, you're going to see numbers like this where they're a lot, um, lot larger. Yeah. Um, I actually really considered taking Hamlin at the plus eight hundred, but I actually went one step down. I went to the Penske. Okay. Joe Logano at plus nine fifty. Um, somebody I was very very off of for the last few weeks. He has not been running well. Mm-hmm. Um, with the 550 or 750 package. He hasn't been good in the intermediates. He just really hasn't been there. But this is the bread and butter for him. This is the race he's going to want to hit on if he wants to move on to the next round. Yeah. Um, he is sitting only six points above the cut line. So they're definitely going to be out on the hunt for stage points in general. Yeah. Um, so you'll see him definitely lingering up the front all day long, hopefully staying out of trouble. Um, in the fall Dega race since 2014, uh, minus last year, he's got two wins and a 5.5 average finish, and he's been top 11 in every single race. Um, as far as Dega goes, he is the has the best driver rating as, over the last seven. He has the seventh best finish at Dega over the last seven races. He's the best driver rating over the last six super speedways. Um, and then over the last um, six races in general, he's the eighth best. Um, so he's got just in um, at Talladega since 2018, one win, three top fives, three top ten, five top 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, he's led 211 laps. Um, so yeah, Joe Logano is just—he's just—he's really good at. Um, so considering, because I heard a lot of consistency there, like you said, he—he—he is—he not only has he won a lot, but he's finished inside the top ten and top twenty a lot. So when you when you see this kind of results, do you think there's an art to dodging the big one, or is it a lot of just like you think that's maybe just a lot of luck where he just happened to have a run where he just was in the right pack of cars? Yeah, it's 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 probably luck. Do you yeah. also do? Okay, I mean, I mean, you've seen it like even just. Daytona 500. I mean, he was going to win, and then him and Keselowski take each other out. Right. So, like, it, there is a lot of luck involved, but yeah. there is there is something to say with, you know, you'll hear t- kind of – it's almost like the um, – you either want to be out front or you want to be in the back. It's kind of it's kind of where a lot of people kind of stand on this. Yeah. If you're out leading, you're going to be avoiding it. A lot of the wrecks, if you're in the back, you're just kind of hanging around. You can hopefully dodge right. and, and then make your way towards the front towards the end of the race um so Logano to be one of those guys who's always up front i think that has something to do with it he's right. consistently always going to be sitting up there in the top five kind of avoiding the over aggressive guys trying to make their way out to the front yeah and like you mentioned i think the variance of super speedo racing is priced into a lot of these odds like we like last week we saw what three guys like lower than eight to one or something like that like larson was like plus two uh, i think it was more than that i think yeah like the top six or seven on the board were all yeah and plus 800 yeah. yeah and this week we see the favorite at plus 800 and Lagano's second favorite at plus 950 so yeah um 
yeah, like I think, it, like I said, the variance is kind of priced in and you kind of just, you don't want to, I guess, yeah, you, you don't want to take too much, you don't want to put too much credence into worrying about the big one because it's going to happen. And if you, if your guys like get out, if you guys get involved in like, there's nothing you can do anyway. Right. So you just want to, you want to have the guys that you think if everything goes right for them, like they're going to be right there at the top. Right. Okay. Yeah. Understood. Yep. So then, yeah, actually, so the next, the next, next bet on my board here is actually Ryan Blaney. Yeah. Um, for the third straight week, we're, yeah. we're going back to Blaney train. Let's do it. Um, I mean, he actually opened. So actually, I, I meant to hit on this beginning. So the opening odds for this were Hamlin was actually at plus 700 and Logano was at plus 1,000. Blaney was at plus 1,100. Okay. Um, I actually got Blaney at the 1,100. I didn't get Logano at 1,000, unfortunately, but like I went ahead and smashed Blaney at the 1,100 yeah. as soon as I saw that. Um, he is just as consistent as Logano. Actually, if, if you look at the rating at Dago over the last seven races, Blaney is second. Mm-hmm. Um, look at average finish. Blaney is six, which is one spot ahead of Logano. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the rating over the last over the rating at super speedways over the last six, Blaney is second to yeah. only Logano. So I mean they're right there, one and two. Yeah. Um, and then you can argue Blaney has been better as a whole over the last just six and fifteen races. He's the fourth best driver over the last six and the sixth best driver over the last fifteen as far as driver rating goes. Um so yeah, two wins, two top fives, three top tens, five top twenties, and 129 laps led with only one DNF at um, Dega yeah. since 2018. So yeah, just another guy. He has, I think he's very much in the conversation of being an elite super speed racer now. Um, like I said, like I kind of touched on earlier, he had had won two of Dega races in a row between the 2019 fall and 2020 spring. Mm-hmm. So he's he's had the success here before. So yeah, he's just him. Well, yeah, he's bulletproof. You I mean, even before you even look at the odds, they were going to be my auto bets for this week. Right. Yeah, he's not really a guy that like you need to explain too much. Yeah, you know, yeah. like people that like know NASCAR, like no right? Because I've I've already seen like preliminarily on Twitter, like a lot of guys obviously are on Blaney mm-hmm. for that exact reason. So. Yep. Yeah. All right. So then we next, got our two. We got our two big courses. Are we going? Are we staying at the top? Or are we going to maybe dip down a little bit more? We're going to go somewhat, somewhat to the top, and then we're going to dip down a little bit. I've got three kind of like mid-tier and then i've got like one or two kind of deep i'm not betting on all these guys i'm just kind of throwing all of the options okay yeah. i'm kind of undecided on what i'm doing with my slip this week yeah um as of right now i've got 12 units towards outrights eight towards head-to-heads okay or sorry eight towards top tens or head-to-heads Props, yeah. um but i would not be opposed to sprinkling a little more on the outrights just because it's more fun at, at Dega. it's just oh, it's yeah. so much more fun at super speedways and then you know your top tens and, and your head-to-heads are gonna be much more of a wash in a super speedway race so it's we're having a little more risk here, but you know, a little more fun if we can hit an outright. Exactly. And so yeah, my only other. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no. And the betting, Chris's final betting card will be posted on Flag Hunting. Yeah. yeah. My golf card is already on there. There are some amendments I might make uh, either in tournament or, or right before the tournament starts. Um, and yeah, so keep posted on at Flag underscore Hunting. Yep. So next one, so kind of the top, and I'm going right back at him as I did last week. William Byron. Um, oh. He was the fastest guy in the field yeah. um, last week. And he is another one of those guys who I think is right on the brink of becoming, getting in the conversation for being a really good speedway racer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a 2020 fall Daytona winner when it came down to it to make playoffs. Um, and then 2021 spring at Dega this year, he was second. And he has a 5.7 average finish over the last three races at Dega. Um, as far as driver rating goes over the last seven, he's seventh. Um, average finish, 10th. And then over speedways, over the last six super speedways, he's eight best. So yeah. you know his stats aren't quite there with Logano and Blaney, but I think he's learning. He's still young. He's still learning these super speedways, and I think that he's just proven to be better and better. And I think with the misfortune they had last week, where he was the class of the field, I think that's he's got that burning desire to. He right. wants to go out and prove. Um, and then on top of that, he is um, actually under the cut line right now too. 
Okay. As so far as the playoffs are concerned, he's four points under the cut line. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's looking for one of those guys up top, you know, the Brad, Joey, Chase, Blaney, Truex, which Truex doesn't run good at Dago. So that's, that's a good – Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen the odds. That yeah. was one of our first impressions. Truex yeah. at 25. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, so we'll, we can touch it real quick while we're here. So yeah. uh, Martin Truex has 10 straight results of 20th or worse at Dago. 10 straight? 10 straight. That's incredible for a guy in his yeah. equipment and his skill level. Yeah. Is it now? Is he does he struggle with Daytona because he's won at Daytona, right? No, he's oh, really? I don't think he's won at Daytona. I know he's never won at, at Dega. I don't think okay. he's got a super speedway win though. If I'm, if I'm okay, if I have that correctly, I, I might just I might have gotten a mix. If it if it did happen, it was like a long time ago. Maybe I'm just misremembering. Yeah, I'm 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 like 99 sure he's never won a super speedway. Okay, gotcha. Um, so yeah, um, Byron, yeah, he's just one of those guys that um, I think he's gonna want want to kind of prove some prove some doubters wrong and. and He's shown that when his back's against the wall, as far as making playoffs, you know, he's 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 gonna be clutch. Right. Um, and I don't think that he's, you know, we got Roval next week, so a lot of guys who are not road course specialists are looking to they, they want to make their impact this week. Yeah. Um. So I mean, you know, guys like Logano and Blaney and Chase and Larson, all those guys, they they're pretty comfortable. Denny, they're right. all comfortable with with the Roval next week. But Most you, of them are also like pretty safely in the top eight. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, like you know, guys like Byron and Bowman and. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess Kyle Busch is okay at yeah. road courses, but yeah, like we'll hit on some of those other guys. But um, yeah, I think Byron, this is his chance to kind of get back from last week, get above that cut line, or even better, get a win and just automatically make it to the top eight drivers. Yeah, um, kind of feel like now or never for him. For right. Sure. Okay. So now we'll get to some more kind of fun ones. Um, one that's not quite as much of a dip. Um, we're, he's currently sitting at plus eight, 1800. He opened at plus 2000. He's a guy that Ian probably expected me to say because I was all over him for Daytona 500, yeah. but it's Eric Almarola. Um, he is over the last seven races at Dega fifth best. Um, his average finish at Dega over the last seven first. What first? Huh? First of all drivers, his average finish. Oh, I thought his best. He was average first. Oh like, no, no. As in, like he never finished worse than first. No, 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 no. That's okay. just like he's he has the best average finish of that, all drivers over the last still seven. That's still a really Dega. crazy stat. Yes, considering um, like the form he's been in. And then top ten in the last in six of the last eight races at Vega. And then last fall he was actually leading when he wrecked. So that's one of the two where he didn't finish in the top ten. Damn. Um, so yeah, Amarola is just he's one of these guys that, like I mentioned on last week's podcast, when he won at New Hampshire, it was kind of it was unexpected. Stark. No one really saw it. Yeah. Um, if you're going to bet Amarola, you're going to bet on a super speedway. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Um, and he's also in the Ford camp. Mm-hmm. So you know if he's running up there with you know Logano, Blaney, Kez, um, Matty D, all these other Ford drivers. Yeah. Um, I think he'll be right there in the mix. Um, he's got, so like I mentioned, since 2018, he's got one win here, three top fives, five top tens, six top twenties, and he's led 56 laps. And then the only DNF was last fall. Yeah. Um, now he is not racing for the playoff spot, but he's racing for something else. He's, he's racing for a ride next year. Well, he's, he's, or is he locked into Stuart house? I don't think he is quote unquote locked in. Like, I don't think a contract is signed. Yeah. But he has um, Smithfield as a sponsor for him, which is a huge sponsor. Right. I don't see – and he's got to win this year. I mean, that's, that's something Harvey can't even say. Yeah. True. So I don't see um, Stuart Haas moving on from him. I don't really know – I mean, if he doesn't if he doesn't perform next year, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think he'll still be in, in a ride next year. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so I'm rolling at plus 1,800. Um, another guy that I'm, I'm all over. I kind of want a redemption from <laughs> – Daytona 500 this year when I feel like he he won the clash and uh-huh. or won one of the clash or not the clash sorry but one of the duels he yeah. won one of the duels, um, so I kind of I kind of want some and he um, he also has the obviously he got wrecked by Austin Dillon in the last lap of the Daytona 500 too yeah which if you watch Radioactive that was like one of the because I'm not really a big NASCAR fan but I remember getting into NASCAR during the COVID pandemic and watching some of the Radioactives and when he got wrecked by Dillon and like 
you could see like he was just like devastating this car. Mm-hmm. Like, that was one of the, like, like if I if I was I'm a Larson fan, but if I had like a second driver, like that kind of made me into Almirola fan. So yeah. I'm, I'm on board with this for sure. All right, so we'll keep moving down. So just a little bit further down. Um, oh, so I guess I touched on this too. So the three I touched on at the beginning were all playoff drivers. Yeah. These next three slash four are not playoff drivers. So you are taking a little bit of risk here because, like I said, I think I mentioned two weeks ago, it's rare for a guy that's not in the playoffs right now to win a non or to win a playoff race. Right. Um, so we are going a little risk here, um, but to me, it's, it's more fun. I mean, these guys are these guys are deep odds. Yeah. Um, so Kurt Busch plus two thousand. Okay. Um, Kurt over the last seven races at Talladega is has the third best driver rating. Um, over the last seven, his average finish is 12th best. And then his rating at, um, super speedways in general over the last six races is 10th. Okay. Um, and then as far as his history at Talladega over, since 2018, uh, one top five, three top tens, four top twenties, 129 laps left, which is exactly the same number as Ryan Blaney. Hmm. Um, and he does have two DNFs. Um, but yeah, Kurt, um, is a guy that he's in a good car. He's going, he's going to a, um, track he likes. Yeah, a track he's good at. Yeah. He's going to a, um, a high-profile team next year. Um, he's go- he's moving over to... 2311? Um, 2311. Okay, yeah. Or 23X. I, I, th- I thought I heard about that, yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think I think this is a big a big shot for him to kind of project his name of, among the elites here. Yeah. Um, he's, um, he's running in the top five the last two races before incidents forced him out. So he's been right there in the last two races at Dega. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think plus two thousand actually kind of surprised me. I kind of I kind of thought he'd be a little higher up on the board. Interesting. Um, so I, yeah. I honestly like just as a casual fan, I I don't know if I'm just low on Kerr Bush, but it doesn't feel like he like wins that much. Is this just is he like more of like a course horse where like he shows up at the places he's good at, or um, am I just underrating him in general? I think you're underrating him a little bit. I okay. think I think if you were a fan of NASCAR, you know, five to eight years ago, you'd understand kind of why Kerr. Kurt, yeah. Kurt used to be good. I mean, Kurt. Well, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a champion. Right, right. Um. So, yeah, I think I think he's he's not in his great equipment now as he's been in the past. Right. Um, a lot of that that has to do with um he used to have a terrible attitude. Mm-hmm. Um. He was one of those drivers where you listen to radioactive to listen to Kurt because right, he right. was just he was a he was a psycho. What's his brother? Huh. His brother wasn't really a psycho, but he just complains all the time. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, he yeah. was a psychopath. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, but, um, he, a lot of that could be blamed on, I mean, we're getting into some weird things here, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. a lot of that could be blamed on his ex-wife. They had some like domestic stuff going on. Right. Um, he's now remarried to actually a, um, English polo player. Um, I think it's what it is. I think it's polo. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Me. so I think Curry's, Curry's a guy that I, I can't say that I've always really been a fan of him, but over the last year or two, um, he's really grown on me a lot. I think he's, he's matured a lot. He's, he's now one of the vets of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moving over to 2311 to be. You know, kind of like the the guy over there to kind of help him and him and Bubba kind of lead that team to better, bigger and better things. Is Gibbs going to uh, sell the eleven to twenty three eleven? Because that'd be cool. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> no, they're actually bringing back the forty five car, so it's Jordan's Carolina number. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. that works. That works. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. I was going to say his baseball number, but I know I don't know what that is, and I don't think know he wants to put that yeah. back yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the public light. Yeah. Okay. Kurt Busch. All right, so then my last outright that I have currently placed a bet on, but I will touch on probably one or two over that I'm kind of eyeing that I haven't quite pulled the trigger on yet. But my last one that I have pulled the trigger on is a guy that I was looking at last week at Vegas was Tyler Reddick. Um, if for those who did watch Vegas, he yeah. was running very well. He was he was like leading for a little bit, right? Uh, he, was he never got on. the lead. Yeah, yeah, he was second. He was pushing for a while. I yeah. thought a lot of people thought he was going to get to the lead. I I kind of thought he might get there, but 
Um, he just kind of fell off just a little bit. Yeah. Um, couldn't quite get there. But yeah, Adega, um, he is the sixth best, has the sixth best driver in Adega over the last seven races. Mm-hmm. He has the second best average finish right behind Amarola wow. um, over the last seven races at Adega. And then um, what other stuff do I have on him here? Over the last six at Super Speedways, he's 13th best. Um, but Dega, he's proved to be better at Dega than Daytona, so that's kind of why that skews that way. Okay. Um, and then to kind of go back in his history here, the 2020 spring race, he was 20th, but one he finished 20th, but he won stage one and was a leader with four to go until a late caution, and he pitted for fuel mileage concerns. Um, in 2020 fall race, he finished seventh. 2021 spring race, he finished seventh. Um, so he's been right there, and the fact that he showed so much speed last week I think is very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, over the last – since 2018 at Talladega, he's got two top 10s, three top 20s, and – I think he's got some lap leads too. If I can get this thing to go to the right, yeah, twenty-one laps led, mm-hmm. um, and then he is in the um, the Chevy camp. So if he gets ahead of the, he's get front of the line of the Chevys. That's true. Um, he's got a lot of teammates that maybe Hendrick and uh, and the like that right help. Him or out. like late in the race when they all decide to pit together, if he has the best pit stop, you can get out front ahead of them. Yeah. Um, you know, you never know. Um, and he's he's Redick is also known as a very aggressive driver, so mm-hmm. he is not going to be afraid to. Um, Mixed you up. know, whenever we're seeing the two lines, and actually um, Daytona is, or sorry, Talladega is a wider racetrack than Daytona, so you'll see a lot more three wides, potentially four wides. Right. But whenever you see that that train coming, Reddick's not going to be afraid to, to jump down in front of that and, and kind of take that train with him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Reddick is a guy that I'm, I'm liking here. He's at plus 1,800 currently. He opened at 2,100 right behind Kurt. Um, a lot of guys – or sorry, I had that wrong. He's at 2,500 right now. Yeah, he's at 2,500. He opened uh, – I think that's actually what he opened at. Yeah. I think I had him and Almiral mixed up there for a second. Right. Um, but, yeah, so that's my last um, outright that I had pulled the trigger on. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy that I am – and this will kind of lead right into my top tens. The guys that I'm kind of thinking of sprinkling on here, um, Chris Buescher. Is okay. it plus 40 – plus 4,000? Yeah. Um, so he over the um, – where's my stat at here? Oh, here it is. So over the last seven at Talladega, his average finish is 13th. Yeah. Um, 2020 spring race, he finished 6th. 2020 fall race, he finished 6th, but actually got penalized, so he got moved back to 22nd, but he still finished 6th. Mm-hmm. And then 2021 spring race, he was 6th at the end of stage 1, 7th at the end of stage 2, and then top top 10 on the last lap until he got caught in an accident. Um, and his driver rating of 83.7 would actually, be, would actually be 10th among all active drivers at Talladega. Um, so that kind of leads to my props here. I haven't pulled the trigger on an outright, but I do have him as a top 10 bet. Okay. I'm at plus 190. I've got two units on him. Yeah. Um, I was, I think I'm just underrating like the possibility of someone random winning here. Cause like, it's, I, it's, it's, yeah. Like I understand he's 40 to one and like, I'm not going to like, I'm not gonna be the guy to be like, oh yeah, he's definitely not going to win. Like, especially at a 40 to one. Like I'm not going to, right. I'm not going to argue with that kind of tout because he has a long shot for a reason, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, like Busher, I've never like. I, I obviously know who he is, but I don't really feel like he's ever been like in the mix. You know, like down the stretch of a race. You know, he's he's had actually he's actually had a really good year this year. Um, yeah, he, and he's a really good driver. So yeah, what kind of led me to want to bet him as an outright, um, and then even more as a top ten, which is what I'm actually putting my money on, is um, so I mentioned that I listened to the Dorber Clear podcast. So today they actually had. Um, Denny Hamlin's crew chief on there today. Yeah. And at the very end of the podcast, what they normally do is they make their picks for who they, they kind of do like a, um, kind of like a one and done kind of thing. Okay. Like every week they'll make, they'll pick a driver who they want to win, but um, once they pick them, they can't pick them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the, all the podcast guys made their picks and they just asked 
um, Chris Gapart, which is Denny Hamlin's creature, who he wanted to win. And they said, obviously, other than the 11, who would you pick? He actually picked Chris Buescher um, hmm. as his outright. Um, and being a Ford driver, I think that kind of says a lot. Too. Yeah, because Hamlin's a Toyota guy. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, I think I'd already kind of hit on all the stats there. But, yeah, Chris Chris is just – he's he's really good super speedways, and I think he's had a good year overall. Mm-hmm. Um, it would definitely be a shock at 40 to 1. Like I said, I'm, I'm kind of wavering if I want to bet him as an outright or not. Right. But as a top 10 at plus 190, um, I think we'll be hitting that. I'm actually putting two units on that. Okay. Nice. Um, so, yeah. And then next up, um, I guess I kind of have a little bit of a fan favorite here, at least fan favorite for for as far as our close friends are. Oh, um, Ryan Priest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know who you're talking about here. Um, so, yeah, Ryan Priest at Super Speedways. Um, he is top 10 in five of the last 11 there, and he's top 15 in seven of the last 11. And at Vegas specifically, he has an average finish of 12th, um, which that actually ranks. So I've already mentioned, I've touched on the stat a lot today with a lot of my bets. Yeah. Um, average finish at Talladega over the last seven races. Number one is Almirola. Number two, Todd Reddick. Number three, Ryan Priest, <laughs> as, a, as far as average finish goes. Yeah. Um, and that's that's that 12. That just shows you how much variance there is. In I was going to say, like, yeah. you would never see that kind of lineup in another tra- at another track. Oh, yeah. No, 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 definitely not. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's currently sitting at plus 220 as a top 10. Um, I was originally going to bet him as a, um, a top 20, but he's like minus 250 at top 20. Yeah. Uh, so top tw- top ten is just a lot more fun here. Uh, I believe he actually finished. If I'm not mistaken, I think he finished. I wish I had this written down, but I'm pretty sure he had a top five earlier this year in the spring race. Um, I could be wrong on that, but now let me um, let me ask real quick. Like when it comes to super speedway racing, the fact is that the pack racing that makes this such an equalizer is it the fact that are the cars maybe more similar as far as their like their uh, equipment uh, when they go to super speedways or. Like, what is it about Super Speedways that really, like, makes it such a an open kind of – it's open season for anybody almost? Yeah, it's because you can't – like, no matter how good your car is, you can't win on your own. Like, yeah. you just can't. Um, it's, and it's like you, like you just touched on. It's the pack racing. Like, it's all about team strategy. It's all about aerodynamics. Like, you cannot – like, it doesn't matter. You could have Kyle Larson's car at Atlanta earlier this year where he was led every lap just about. Yeah. It doesn't matter at Talladega or Daytona. You just – you have – it's all about catching the right – line of cars and catching their momentum at the right time, being in the right spot at the right time so they get caught in the big one. I mean, it's just a mix of a lot of things. It kind of equal, it kind of equalizes the field as a whole. So saying that, because it equalizes the, the equipment, uh, as you would say, like your equipment maybe... I mean, to an extent. I mean, the, Rick, the Rick Ware cars are still going to be the Rick Ware cars. I mean... <laughs> absolutely, yeah. But it definitely closes the gap from like the mid-tier to the top. Yeah. Would you say that like if you're... If the guys that are lower like teams, does this really like show off like their driving capabilities? Like... Does this maybe show that I, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but um, like a guy like Ryan Priest, do you think like this? What this says about Ryan is that he is on par as a driver with like the top guys, or um, is it more just like a skill set, like a specific skill set that you need at super speedways? Yeah, I think it's more of a specific skill set. I don't. Right. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Ryan Priest is a wheelman. Like, right. There's a reason why. A lot of people tout him as being a good driver, and that there, a lot of people are pissed that he's losing his, his ride next year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's an excellent short tech short tech racer in the modified series. It's, he's I mean that's, he was one of the best ever to ever do it. Um, so he's it has nothing. It's not taking anything away from him, mm-hmm. um, but I think that it shows. I mean, you you got a lot of guys that, I mean, just kind of like I brought up multiple times, the average finish here. Yeah, it doesn't also happen by happenstance either. Like a lot of people don't like super speedways because it's a lot of luck. But at the same time, if you look at the stats, a lot of the top guys are consistently there every yeah. single time. Yeah. So I think it says it's a little bit of both. I think. I mean, if you ask me, a wheelman's a wheelman. 
They know how to get that car around. They know how to stay out of trouble. They know how to trust their spotter. Yeah. Um, I guess what I was saying was like, if you're looking, if we're looking for like a next generation of like stars in NASCAR, do you kind of use this data as like mm -hmm. your measuring stick? Because like, this is where maybe the equipment's more equalized. So you can, you can see driver skill maybe a bit uh, more compared to like a regular track or not really. Is it really <laughs> just more like Dega's Dega, Daytona's Daytona? Yeah. Like yeah. you're really going to look at your intermediate and short tracks and like okay. see when people are outperforming their equipment rather than getting these, and I put in quotes, fluky finishes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even though these might be the flash results, you're really more impressed if a guy like performs, like has like an eighth place finish at like an Atlanta or something like that. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah, just in general, in general like yeah, generalizing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, like you, you're constantly looking for guys who are outperforming their equipment. Yeah. So, um, I'm trying to think of like an example off the cuff here, but without saying Matt DeBenedetto. Yeah, I was gonna say, there's, but, there's but like Matt DeBenedetto of old, you know, like yeah. when he was when he was at Go Fast and he was consistently like finishing like top twenties when that car wasn't a top twenty car. Like, right. it's, it's people like that that you look for. Um, yeah, yeah. There's probably a better example, but I'm. I'm Drawing a blank on somebody right now. It's late as well. Yeah. As you guys probably know by now. Um, all right. So two more, and then we'll finish. We'll wrap up NASCAR. Right. Um, so I got Ryan Newman, plus 160 as a top 10. Um, another guy that is just a really good super speedway racer. Um, so going back to my list, average finish at Dega, last seven races. Almirola one, Reddit two, Priest three, Ryan Newman four. That's crazy. Uh, at super speedway since last fall at Talladega, and then minus this year's Daytona 500, where he was swept up in the big one. Ryan Newman has finished in the top 13 every race and has a 7.3 average finish. Um, so, yeah, he's just one of those guys that he seems to always find his way. He, he's always finds his way at the end. Um, he's, he's always stays out of trouble. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, we haven't seen it this year whatsoever from Newman. Right. Um, he, he really hasn't been good. But, um, to be fair, at Daytona, I was not on him whatsoever. Comes away finishing third, right behind Bubba in second. I mean, so, like, the dude, the dude knows how to, and then to, and this could be it for him. I mean, he's out of a ride next year. This could be his last few, his last few callings here, um, and right. in, in NASCARs. We hope not, but it's kind of looking that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, plus one sixty for a top ten to him. For him, I'm throwing another two units on that one. And then my last one, um, man, the head to heads were tough this week. There wasn't a lot that I liked. Okay. Um, so I may dive into that that may be my last if i don't hit one of those long shot outright so like the plus 40 or plus 30s yeah uh, 30 to ones it'll probably be another head-to-head -head. um but like i said there, there's a lot out there that are just they're 50 50 like they should be i think they did the, the books did really good this week mm -hmm. but there's one that did stand out to me um despite bubba really having good finishes he always seems to do finish really well at super speedways um i think he actually Maybe not. I thought I remember typing his name, but I don't see it now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he's got, I mean, like I said, he just finished second Daytona. I think he's finished second Daytona last year too, I believe. Um, but he's matched up against Eric Amarola. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And to me, that's just that's just a very different tier for yeah. me. That can't be even uh, money, right? You have to reduce a bet. I 10. didn't write down the odds, but I think I think Eric was like a minus one ten on that one. Okay. I that's don't. still amazing value. I mean, that's basically a pick when it comes to Vegas. I mean, they're barely yeah. going to give you – um, like juice, like less than ten percent juice uh, right. on like a pick'em, right? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, so considering Alvarado is eighteen to one and Bubba's thirty-three to one. So actually, no, sorry, it's minus one thirty. Okay, that's still Eric, not and Bubba's even odds. That's still not um, bad. So, but yeah, I'm throwing I'm throwing Eric on that one. That was the only one that I really felt good about. Honestly, a lot of these are, are toss ups. Yeah. Um, and why not? I mean, if you're gonna if you are committed to playing the full twenty units like you usually do, 
why not just put it on another outright? That's yeah, like, and that's the thing. I mean? Yeah, I mean, just because I mean, just to kind of tell you some of these other outrights out or these other head to heads out here mm-hmm. are, are guys that I've bet on. So you've got a Chase Light versus Ryan Blaney. That's tough. True. Kurt Busch and Todd Reddick. I'm literally outright on both of them. Yeah. Um, Austin Dillon and Matt Benedetto. Both. I mean, that's. I mean, that that might be one that I touch on. Honestly, that's that's another one. And Mike Dillon Mc... versus Matty. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got Michael McDowell and Ross Chastain. Um, Alex Bowman, William Byron, Joey Logano, Kyle Larson. Like they're all just. I feel like the odds is really really good this week. So. Yeah. So yeah, that's gonna wrap up my card for now. Um, and like I said, I think as as that stands currently, that actually does use my full twenty units. If I was to put two units on all those props, okay. um, but um, I, I haven't actually pulled the trigger on all those on all those props yet, okay. um, other than Busher and Priest, I have pushed on those. Um, so yeah, like I kind of hit on. If I was to hit another outright, it was it would be Busher at forty. Um, and then my homer pick of Matty D at thirty to one. Yeah, so. and I'll bet for Chris if you guys haven't figured that out yeah, already. Yeah, uh, it, he's. I believe it was the hard way when when like Maddie was like there at the end of the race one of these times and, like Chris was pulling for him in my presence. I was like, wait, you had Maddie D on the card? He's like, yeah, I always had Maddie D on the card. It's like, why well, don't you just share that with me? That way I can I can relish in the sweat. But um, but yeah, you want to give a quick recap of of kind of your outrights and your your head to heads and props? Yeah, 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 yeah. So my overall card, which will be on the um, Twitter sphere yep. at flag at underscore hunting. So I've got Logano plus nine fifty three units, Ryan Blaney plus ten to one at three units. Uh, William Byron plus 1400, two units. Tyler Reddick plus 2500, one unit. Eric Amarola plus 1800, 1.5 units. And then Kurt Busch at plus 2000, one and a half units. And then my props Busher top 10 plus 190, Priest top 10 plus 220, Ryan Newman top 10 plus 160. And then in the head to head, Eric Amarola over Bubba Wallace. And I've got two units on all of those currently. Right on, man. So yeah. I, I'm super excited. And for those of y'all that, uh, the tune in and maybe just tune in for the golf or are more golf fans than NASCAR fans. I, I'll be the first to say, Chris mentioned earlier, like if there's a if there's a race you want to watch in NASCAR, like super speedways are are the jam because um like it could be th- like for, for most speedways or for most uh, NASCAR stops, I feel like at 25, 30 laps to go, there's maybe like two or three cars that can win it. Here, like 10 laps to go. I mean, there's like a pack of 20 guys that all have a shot at the front, depending on how the train moves and and who who breaks um who breaks right uh, in which lane. So yeah, I think, I think we're in for a really good race. I like the card. Uh, a lot of good stats there for Chris. So, yeah, from us here at Flag Hunting Podcast, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, episode three, week three. Let's get some uh, – let's get both of us back in the green. Yes, I'd love to, I'd love to see a NASCAR <laughs> outright, man. Love to see a NASCAR outright. So, yes, you're right yeah. on that one. I appreciate you all for listening, and you all have a good day.